All right, we are looking at Luke chapter 1 this morning in our study of the harmony of the Gospels. Uh, The next uh, step that we're going to be looking at is the the life of John the Baptist. Um, we, we, our first lesson was on the pre-existence of Christ. Now, as far as the order of the harmony of the Gospels, we are going to begin looking at John the Baptist and several things concerning him. Uh, in uh, Out of Luke, we'll begin there. Of course, we'll be, as normal, we'll be going to other parts of uh, the Gospels, other books, and other passages as we study. Uh, but John the Baptist is a tremendous study in itself. Uh, he was noted in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, a man sent from God. Uh, so we know that he had a distinct purpose in ministry. There was a plan in, in place for John the Baptist, and he had a special place in the life of the Lord Jesus uh, had and we'll look at it more momentarily or maybe next Sunday the privilege of being able to introduce him the Lord Jesus as the Redeemer the Messiah that was a fulfillment of the, the Old Testament prophecies but uh, let's read if you would follow with me Luke chapter 1 we're going to read the first 25 verses and then begin our study. Luke is inspired to write, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now I'm going to stop just a minute, but notice if you would that Luke is writing to a particular individual. Uh, It indicates uh, he is one of prominence, uh, and he is recounting the uh, life and the events and the ministry of the Lord Jesus and giving Theophilus a testimony Uh, of who Jesus is and who He was and what He came to do and fulfill. And He wanted him to understand that these these accounts were eyewitness accounts. And He put them basically in order as He could uh, in order to make clarity of the life of Christ. And so in verse 5, He begins, "...there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zechariah." of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, His lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have a joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring to you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute, not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Now, as we read this passage, we find some tremendous truths here. And... uh, uh, but we, we note, first of all, that the John mentioned in this passage refers to John the Baptist, uh, not necessarily the, the author of the Gospel of John. So it's two different Johns, a lot of Johns in the Bible, like there is a lot of Marys in the Bible. So you have to be careful when you read a passage of Scripture to try to clarify to whom it's speaking, of whom it's speaking. So in the arrival of John the Baptist was an important uh, time in history because it actually ended the 400 years of silence from God. You know, when we began this study of the harmony of the Gospels, we talked to you about the, the time between the Old Testament ending and the New Testament beginning, and there was a time frame of about 400 years that was regarded as the silent years. John the Baptist breaks that silence. He ends that time frame. Uh, there had not been a word from God, uh, a revelation or a, a prophet uh, throughout the time between the Old Testament Malachi and, now, and the beginning of the New Testament uh, Matthew. Uh, but John the, was the first prophet since Malachi. And his arrival definitely broke the silence of those 400 years. Now John was the last Old Testament prophet and the first herald of the new dispensation. Uh, you understand what I'm saying on that? Uh, John the Baptist was the pivot uh, between the Old Testament, the end of that, and the beginning of the New Testament era of the gospel of the proclamation of the coming of the Lord. So it's important to look at the life of John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus noted John the Baptist as being so important, he said this of John the Baptist. He said, 
Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So that was a high commendation from the Lord Jesus on the life of John the Baptist. So there's no better testimony of a life and ministry than that of our Lord. So we find that Jesus put the gold star of approval, if you would, on the life of John the Baptist. So it's important that we look at uh, the things that pertaining to the uh, to this prophet. First of all, we look in this passage that we read today. Let me do this. My wife has been in, given permission to wave me down when it gets time, but I'm going to try to catch it before I do because you know, I might rob her of that privilege. But, uh, but anyway, <clears throat> let's look first of all at John's unique birth. In this passage, we find some tremendous uh, insight concerning the birth of John the Baptist. We find first of all the names of his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest in, in, in the Levitical priesthood, there in the he's serving in the temple, and uh, uh, Elizabeth was of the priestly line as well because she was a descendant of Aaron. So there was uh, strong connections there, uh, and, and the Bible describes them as being blameless. Doesn't mean that they were perfect. They were still normal, common people just like you and I. They are not to be put up on a pedestal as being sinless, but they were blameless. They were living for God. They were doing what they could uh, to live a life that would be pleasing to the Father. But uh, uh, we find that Zechariah, uh, in the Levitical priesthood, there were so many Levites that were priests, they, they took turns in doing different ministries in the temple. And usually only once in a lifetime were they able to go in and serve in the temple because of the, uh, the requirements and the qualifications and, and then the multitude of priests that was available. Uh, they were only able to go in and serve actually one, one time in their life. And the lot fell upon Zechariah to serve the, in the ministry of burning incense in the temple. And that's what he was about to take place in his life. But he he was as he went in to the temple, and you know, and I, I'm not going to be able to recount everything I've read about this. But there was a, apparently, according to some of the uh, Messianic Jewish writers that I've read from, uh, when someone was uh, the priest was about to do the incense, they they would pick two people. One to uh, to go in before them and to uh, straighten up from the previous ceremonial burning of the incense. They would go in and and, and they would make sure that that the, the old uh, ashes and stuff were off out uh, cleaned out of the altar of incense. Uh, they would be in the holy place. Now the, the, that's different than the holy of holies. The holy of holies was the the aspect of the temple where only the Ark of the Covenant uh, resided. And only the high priest could go in that area. But the holy place was the room just before the Holy of Holies. And inside that room, uh, 
was the um, altar of incense, but then there was also the table of the showbread and the golden candlestick on either side of the altar. But the, the person that would precede going in before Zechariah would be given the task of cleaning out the ashes uh, of the altar. And then the second person would go in before Zechariah with a scoopful, shovelful, if you would, of coals, burning coals from the burnt uh, the, the altar of burnt sacrifice. That's the only fire that could go in to the and be placed on the altar of incense. So he would go in with live coals and put them in order, uh, so everything would be prepared for Zechariah to come in and spread the incense on the hot coals, and then begin the uh, the, the 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 smoke that would go up and representing the prayers of Israel. So Zechariah was, you know, he was waiting his turn, basically, for all that to go forth. And so when it came time for him to walk in, all that was done, he walks in and he and there's a signal that is given, and I'm sure it's like a trumpet, uh, that is given for him to spread the incense on the hot coals on the altar of incense. And what that would do, if you read Leviticus and other places, that would... Uh, produce a smoke, a sweet-smelling savor, the Bible talks about, or the King James describes it like that, a sweet-smelling savor of smoke that would go up toward heaven, and that represented, that was symbolic of the prayers of Israel to God for forgiveness and, and direction and, and surrender of the nation of Israel. You know, that, that's what that would be. And so, as Zechariah was doing that, of course, he was praying for the nation. He was going through his, uh, for our benefit, a prayer list, if you would, going through different things that he would be praying for and lifting it up before God, his petitions. And the smoke would rise and that he would do his duty. And then, as it normally would, he would then come out of the Holy of Holies and uh, he would stand there before the people and then... Uh, issue a prayer to the people when he comes out. However, his ministry was kind of interrupted. As he was inside the holy place, we find that that an angel appeared to him. Now, what I find interesting is any time I read in the Bible that an angel appears to someone, they uh, kind of get fearful. They're afraid because of this angelic supernatural uh, being that stands before them. It puts fear in their heart, in their in their life, and uh, we find that you know. I and the reason I say that I'm always skeptical is a good word of people giving accounts of seeing angelic beings and just being all joyous and exuberated and and all that static about their appearance, and yet uh, my Bible always says they are fearful, and it had, they, they don't get uh, calm until they're spoken to, said, don't be afraid. You know, they're put at ease at that time. But Zechariah was fearful. I mean, here's Gabriel. He didn't know who it was at first, but he knew it was a... Uh, he, that guy wasn't supposed to be in here while I'm in here. He knew that. But angel, the Gabriel... 
came and to deliver him a message. So uh, the angel told Zechariah that his prayers had been heard. Now, that's an interesting statement because Zechariah and Elizabeth, we read, were already old. They were, they were senior, senior citizens. Okay? They were past the age of just getting their 10% at McDonald's. They were, they were on up in age. They were, they were getting the 20 and 25% discount stuff, you know, even without being carded. You know, they, they, they're recognizably old. Okay? Senior citizens, excuse me. Um, so, Zechariah heard what the angel said. Said the angel said, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, now Zechariah, it had been so long since he had prayed those prayers. Elizabeth was barren. Now. Being barren in that culture and society was kind of a stigma, a reproach uh, on the on the female because she was unable to bear children. So she had that cloud over her head, if you would. And Zechariah kind of held that also because you know he wasn't able to father a child. So they were, you know, though they were blameless and they were uh, very pious people in their activities and in their life, they still had this kind of stigma attached to them because of that. And all through their younger years, they, I'm sure they prayed every night for a child. And they, they, you know, God, they just poured out their hearts to God. We, we'd love to have a child. And yet they remained childless. But now, after all these years, though, you know, those times have passed. Those prayers have been forgotten. They've been long stopped being prayed because they, I'm sure they figure there's no use in praying anymore. So they have forgotten. Zechariah forgot the, the prayer. But Gabriel and God had not. God has sent Gabriel and said, look, I want you to give you, you go tell Zechariah the prayers have been answered. They're going to be answered. Zechariah, bless his heart, just as human as he could be, he said, what are you talking about, Gabriel? Jews always got to have a sign. Yeah. I guess, uh, let me tell you something. This Gentile would too at that time. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm going to do it to be honest. I'll confess, I need a sign too. But he told Zechariah that the prayer was heard and that Elizabeth was going to have a child. In fact, he was going, she was going to have a son and then also named the son. His name would be John. Now that's a that's powerful message for Zechariah to receive. And that set him back. He, and the, Gabriel said... Uh, uh, hey, you know, you're going to be joyful and, and glad and many's going to rejoice at you. And then he begins to, to, to tell them that he's coming for a purpose. He's being born for a purpose. Um, John with the boy, uh, the child, uh, verse 15 of Luke chapter 1, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. So he already identifies that he's going to be a servant of God. He is going. He, he's going to be a Nazarite. 
uh, he said, shall neither drink wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And that is uh, powerful. That it was even unheard of at that time because uh, in the Old Testament, if you remember, uh, 99.5% of the time, the Holy Spirit came upon the servants of God, not indwelt in the servants of God. And now we find that John the Baptist, it was told that he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, even before he was born. So God had a special purpose in mind for John the Baptist. But he would be used to bring many people to the Lord. Uh, He would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to the, the children to the fathers, Uh, He would uh, prepare Israel for the way of the Lord. He would be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, to herald His arrival and would prepare the people to receive the message and to receive the Messiah. What a special message. Well, Zechariah said, That's good, Gabriel. That's a good message. But how can I be sure that that's really going to happen? Now that's Robert's paraphrase, by the way. You know, he he said in verse eighteen, "How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years." He just spells it out. Said, "Look, said I'm. We're old. We are well beyond the childbearing days. How am I going to know this is true?" I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's thinking, well, wait till I tell Elizabeth this. How am I going to convince her of this? You know, and so all kind of things probably going in his mind. And so the angel just said, look, I'm Gabriel, an angel of God. And I've been sent to give you this answer. And here's your sign. You want a sign? Here's your sign. You're not going to be able to speak until the child is born. And immediately he went mute. He was unable to speak. He couldn't tell anybody anything about what he said. But now, we find that uh, in uh, verse 20, he says that uh, you'll be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you do not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Now notice something. Zechariah prayed specific prayer. Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed specific prayers for a child. God sent an answer to those specific prayers with a specific answer. Not only were they going to have a child, they were going to have a son. And not only were they going to have a son, his name was going to be called John. And he doubted. He questioned. Therefore, the result was, okay, here's your sign. You're mute. Now, Compare this instance with the instance of uh, Abraham and Sarah in their older older times. They were given uh, the message that they were going to have a son. His name was going to be Isaac. They didn't doubt, but they laughed. But then Isaac's name means laughter. But then we find that uh, later on, we're going to, as we continue this study in the harmony of the Gospels, this is going to be a foreshadow, if you would, of the power of God to make the impossible possible when it comes time for the Virgin Mary to give birth. This is going to be a sign 
saying it can happen. With God, all things are possible. So, By the way, she did not doubt when she was told she was going to have it. She didn't express who? Mary. Mary did not doubt. We're going to get to that, yes. Yes, she was uh, unique. She was that submissive. Has always got questions. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> That's our job. They ought to just take our word, <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> Let me go back to the Bible. If I go to the Bible, then I don't get in too much trouble. So. <laughs> but we see that, that Zechariah was given that message. And the tremendous ministry outlined of John the Baptist, their son. But notice also that uh, John was more than just a prophet. He was also a priest. John the Baptist was in line as a uh, descendant of the Levitical priesthood. He was also the descendant of the uh, Aaron uh, line as well because of his parents. So he was not only a prophet, he was also a priest. Now, a prophet represents God to man, but a priest represents man to God. And that's exactly what John the Baptist was going to do. His ministry was going to be the in-between God and man and a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ who is to be and is now the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But he was also going to be a not just a priest, a Levitical priest, he was going to be a Nazarite priest. Now that had a lot more stipulations on it than just a regular priest. He was uh, he he made a vow. Um, uh, he was going to be uh, not only uh, uh, consecrated professionally in his in his profession as being a priest and prophet. But he also is going to be consecrated personally in his entire being. So we see that in his unique life, we find that he is a Nazarite. Now, if you would, let's see. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 6. Old Testament. Numbers chapter 6. Numbers is right after Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I bring your attention to Numbers chapter 6 because this gives us the law of the Nazarite. It gives specifics concerning what a Nazarite vow entails and what is required of them. And so let me just kind of summarize this for you. But if, when you can, I'd encourage you to read it. A Nazarite, number one, is forbidden to touch a dead body. Uh, pardon? Numbers chapter 6. This is going to be throughout the whole chapter. Whole chapter. I'm just kind of giving a summary of the chapter, basically. But we find that, that a Nazarite is forbidden to touch a 
dead body. Now that is interesting even because even if it's your own family members, uh, you're, not a, you're not allowed to interact with the dead because that would make you unclean. Now the, uh, also, a Nazarite proclaims his affections were on the altar by doing that. He said, look, my affections, my love, my, my everything, my relationships are on the altar uh, by doing that. Then we find that as we read Numbers chapter 6, they must refrain from any contact with the fruit of the vine, which proclaims that his appetites were on the altar. Now the fruit of the vine, that it refers to primarily wine, strong drink, alcoholic beverages, but it also refers to the grapes, Different things like that could, that could uh, produce something that, that was uh, distorting his ability. So his appetites were on the altar. It also tells us that he could not cut his hair, a Nazarite, which basically proclaims that his appearance is on the altar. He said, look, you know, I'm just a, a servant of God. I'm not duty enough, I'm not getting pretty and all this kind of stuff, he's just letting the hair grow, and also uh, says that you know I'm not, I don't care what you think about me the message is what's important and then once he completely surrendered he is fully committed to God's service now, there are two Old Testament individuals that were Nazarites. One was a good Nazarite, one was not a good Nazarite. Anybody know who the two are? Samson, Samson was the bad. the bad Nazarite. Who was a good Nazarite? His name also starts with an S. Samuel. Samuel. Very good. Samuel was a Nazarite. But he was a good example of a Nazarite. Samson was a bad example because he broke every one of these uh, requirements and restrictions as a Nazarite. But John the Baptist was a Nazarite from his birth. I mean, that's what was intended. He was trained that way. He was brought up that way by Zechariah and Elizabeth. So, um, we find that uh, we'll go back to Luke chapter 1. Uh, the message was given and the the sign was given to Zechariah wouldn't be able to speak verse 21 of Luke chapter 1 the Bible says the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple so they knew something was going on because he was he was in there longer than he should have been. They knew something. They thought they, uh, something had happened. Uh, they didn't know what was going on. He should have already come out uh, by now. Uh, so uh, they marveled at that because they had, uh, while he's inside praying and he's inside doing the incense on the altar, the people outside are doing their praying, going through their 
uh, ceremonial prayer, ritualistic prayer, or some of them hopefully were doing their heartfelt prayers uh, to God for repentance and forgiveness and guidance and all that. Uh, but in verse 22, when he came out, he could not speak to them. Remember, he was supposed to come out and issue a prayer, a general prayer for the populace of, of the nation of Israel. But he could not speak. So they knew something was wrong. And uh, so he continued to fulfill his ministry there in the temple for the remainder of uh, his, uh, the appropriate days. And then he went home and... Uh, uh, of course, he didn't have a conversation with Elizabeth because he couldn't talk. But I figure he communicated with her by writing, whatever. And uh, in those days, just as the angel had prophesied, Elizabeth became a child and she was about to give birth. So John the Baptist was born. And uh, let's look at, let's see, Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3. <coughs> Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 3 in the first four verses, and then we'll probably go back to Luke chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. I'm sure he was a sight to see. So, then if you'd hold your place there in Matthew, look at Luke chapter 3. In the first couple of verses there, Luke chapter 3. And it says in verse 1, Luke 3, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Atura, in the region of Traconius, and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And we'll stop there. John's unique life. He was unique, first of all, that he was a Nazarite from early age. But he also was unique in that he grew up in the wilderness. I've often wondered and questioned that, you know, okay? Why was he in the wilderness? Well, my simple mind tells me that first of all, Zechariah and Elizabeth was old whenever he was born. They probably had died. And as a young man, he migrated out into the wilderness um, there to uh, just to grow and to mature in the wilderness, which was just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, this is a region that was basically a barren desert, but 
it had the Jewish sect of the Essenes. Remember in the beginning of our study, we looked at different people, the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and uh, those groups. The Essenes were the monk-like people. Remember those? I was talking about them. Well, they were... That's where they would go. They had significant communities in this region, just outside of Jerusalem, in the in the barren desert, if you would. Um, there's no evidence biblically to suggest that John was any way connected to that sect. Yet he probably interacted with them. I don't think he was a an Essenes. I know he wasn't because of the his his ministry after that because they didn't come into the city and preach. They were um, trying to isolate themselves. They didn't want to get uh, become un, unclean. But it seems that John uh, probably began his ministry in that area, in that wilderness area, preaching uh, the Gospel, preaching the way of the Lord. Uh, the northern end of that region close to the Jordan River where it flows into the Dead Sea. That's basically where his ministry uh, was uh, taking place. It was a, uh, Actually, it took a full day uh, from Jerusalem uh, to go into that area, but uh, uh, it would seem like a strange place to announce the, the arrival of the King of the Jews, but that's exactly where God sent him and put him, and he was preaching there uh, in in that area. Now, in this same area, this basically where close to where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, which indicates the existence and the communities of the Essenes, and they were kind of uh, guardians, if you would, of of Scripture and, and uh, the. Um, the papyrus uh, uh, documents. They would keep them in these caves and these uh, different things. So we find that uh, I believe that they were influential in trying to help raise John. Now in this wilderness, that's where the Bible says that the Word of God came to John. He didn't go to school. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to the university. He was not educated with the Pharisees and the teachers and of the law and where Nicodemus was educated. Uh, he wasn't educated in those areas, but he was educated in the most highly uh, accredited university of all, and that was at the presence of God. Yes, sir? Uh, the Word of God came to him Jesus? I think that it uh, could have been. Uh, but I know that the message came to him. And uh, I think that his entire message, everything that he was about to preach and proclaim and, and the order that he was to do, came to him during that time. And uh, there's another one in the New Testament. The Bible talks about in Galatians, there was uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but in Galatians, and I think it's chapter... Three, I think. Uh, I may be mistaken in that, but it's Galatians. He, after the Damascus Road experience, and he came to know Christ, Paul, he was led into Damascus, and there Ananias prayed over him. He, after three days, he got his sight received again. He was baptized. He began to preach uh, immediately. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah. 
But it also tells us in Galatians that he ended up going into the desert for three years and there he was instructed in the things of God. And I believe there, Paul, though he was already a very uh, staunch student of the Old Testament, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said. He knew the Old Testament and the prophecies and all that. And I believe in that three years, God instructed him, the Holy Spirit instructed him on the fulfillment of those things found in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he may have been doing like Mary. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, being taught and instructed. And I believe that is why, a very big reason why he was able to be used of God to write the majority of the Old Te- uh, New Testament books of the Bible. Yes, sir. Well, he was stoning when he was being towed outside to see a person. I think he was dead, but uh, I do too. Was that before or after the three years? I don't know after, after his missionary journeys were after these three years. I think that he took three years. Remember, Barnabas had to go to Tarsus to find him, when take him to Antioch, and inside of Antioch they begin the the missionary journeys. So I think it was that three years prior to the Antioch experience, uh, he and Barnabas, that uh, this was taking place. So we find that uh, just like Paul was taught the Word of God, the truth of God, and he was coming out with confidence and boldness, so John the Baptist received the same kind of instruction in the wilderness. So that being said, we should all take comfort and encouragement in that regardless of where you are, whether you're going to school, whether you're going to university, whatever you're trying to do, as long as you're in the Word of God and you're studying, you're seeking the Lord, the Holy Spirit will come and guide you into truth. You don't have to be in a seminary classroom in order to come to understand what the Bible says. All you need to do is get into the Word of God, allow the Holy Spirit of God to teach you, and begin to compare and relate Scripture to Scripture. Uh, and God can teach you, even out in the wilderness. He can do that. So we find that his, his, uh, his birth was unique, his life was unique, in that he spent time in isolation, in solitary. He was there with the Lord. He spent whatever time he needed in order to get the message right. And when God said it was time, John stepped out on the scene. I believe that probably he was pretty much forgotten about as he was in the wilderness. It doesn't say exactly how long he was there, but he was out there quite a while, I think. And then when he made his appearance, man, was he did he have an appearance. Camel's hair, leather belt, Eating locusts and wild honey. How many of you going to eat locusts today at lunch? The honey I could probably handle. I don't know about the locusts, but anyway. Uh, but that was a strange diet for a strange guy. Locust beans or locust bugs? I don't know. I, I think it was the bugs. I don't know. And whichever one it was, I'm not sure I want any of them. But the, but, Hot dogs. <laughs> well, maybe so. I could probably do that. Come on, let's change channels on that. Now, I think I'm going to get a hot dog later. I don't want to. Know. 
No, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. But uh, but we find that that uh, God had a special plan for John. I'm I'm not going to be able to go much any further than the other points because of my time. But just in summary of what we've looked at this morning, his life, his birth, and his life. God had a special plan and a purpose for John. And John fulfilled that plan and purpose. But the reason he did is because he was consecrated to the Lord to do that. You and I have a plan and a purpose. God has a reason for us being here. None of us exist just to exist. We all have a plan and a purpose. And what we need to do is consecrate ourselves to the plan and purpose of God through His will in order to, if we're not sure what that is, to find out what it is and then set about fulfilling that plan and purpose for the glory of God. Because ultimately, we want to bring glory and honor to God. Ultimately, we want to hear when we stand before our Heavenly Father, well done, my good and faithful servant. Ultimately, we want to make an eternal impact in the lives of others so they too will be ready to meet our Heavenly Father one day. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. My apologies for being so quick. Yes, ma'am. Why do you think Elizabeth... um, hid herself for five months. Well, because she was probably confused about what was going on, I would imagine. You know, Zachariah couldn't explain to her what was happening. I don't know. That's a good question. You but need she, to ask her that. Um, Bo said, I would be so busy praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord. All these questions I have down here I agree with that. (laughs) We won't be there asking questions. I agree with that. He was gaining weight and didn't want him back. There you go. That's a good, good answer. Good answer. All women are kind of self-conscious about their weight. Waiting all these years for a baby. Women are screaming and hollering and happy, happy, happy to everybody if they're gonna get a baby. Yeah, but uh, if you're. 90 years old, you're going to have a baby. You know, I'm, not quite, I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> yes, sir. Hold up, y'all. Hold up. Got a question? He appeared to him and told him what was going to happen. He asked that question, just asked the question, and the angel assured him that he was going to be mute for not. I wonder if that was for punishment or if it was uh, to ensure the... It was a sign. Well, Zechariah asked for a sign. How can this be? So the angel said, here's the sign. You're not going to be able to speak. The consequences of not believing right. what I said. Right, right. Do you know by that scripture where she went and she hid for five months? Yes, ma'am. I have one that goes by Genesis 30:23, and it says that... Um, God has taken away my reproach, my disgrace, and my humiliation. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why she went. She, maybe so. Maybe but so. if you've taken away after your after humiliation... Five months, after five months, it was taken away. So she was probably going, going through all that with her mind. Maybe. You know, trying, yeah, I'd be trying to figure it out. <laughs> I'd be yeah. shouting to the world. 
I bet you would. I need diapers. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go, y'all. Sorry. Let's uh, we'll pick this up next week, Lord willing. Okay, Father, we thank you so much for today and the study in your Word. I pray, Father, you'll help us to glean what we need from your Scriptures and help us to apply them to our life. I pray that you'll be with the service that we're about to enter into. Uh, be with the worship service. Prepare our hearts to hear from you. Be with our pastor as he preaches the Word of God. And I pray that you'll do your transforming work in the hearts of every individual. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.